So uh, if you guys are newcomers, um, I am not the regular pastor of this church. I am the youngest son of uh, Pastor Brian. Uh, my name is Josh. And um, this is my first official sermon outside of schooling and teaching. I have done sermons in a classroom before practicing, but this is my first official sermon, and I'm very honored to be able to do this um, at the church that I grew up in uh, and the church that I've seen my dad do so many sermons at um, and my brother. So we're finishing the whole Smith trifecta today. <laughs> um, and I had thought about for a long time about what I should preach on. Um, should it be a, a scripture that I really care about um, and that has meant a lot to me and I just kind of dissect it and display it? Um, I thought about continuing in Ecclesiastes and just continuing my dad's sermon series and just doing that. Um, but God had really laid it heavy on my heart to talk about something that uh, really hits me closely and that I can share with you guys um, and so as you can see from the title, it's called The Anxiety-Filled Christian. Um, and so talking about anxiety and how the Christian should think about anxiety and depression. And um, there's a few reasons I chose this. And uh, to start, for um, millennial and Gen Z generation, I identify as a Gen Zer, which is a very Gen Z sentence, um, but I, uh, know that our generation is thought of to be a very anxious and depressed type of generation. And um, it's only growing with mental illnesses. And I had done a few studies uh, before I came here to show um, just how big of an issue it is. The APA in 2018 did a study that reported 55% of Gen Z has dealt with some type of mental illness that is connected to anxiety or depression which is over half, so that's huge. And since 2018, we've kind of been through stuff. So um, the APA did another examination in 2020 um, during the pandemic, uh, reporting that over seven out of 10 young adults between the ages of 18 and 23 had felt common symptoms of depression or anxiety, um, which makes sense. It was already really high and then uh, we were put into this circumstance that definitely would bring more anxiety. And these rates are only increasing um, with social media and technology developing of us constantly comparing ourselves to one another. Um, I also had seen a lot of reports were saying gun violence was increasing in all um, major cities throughout America and it's increasing at a rapid rate and that increases anxiety and depression for people that live in those cities. So that alone, I know uh, is hard hitting for people that are my age um, in the coming generation. Uh, second is that it's close to me. Um, I have uh, a social anxiety and so uh, this has definitely been a big part of my walk of faith and having to deal with this and like how does a Christian really deal with it and what to think. And then thirdly, um, I know that this is applicable to everyone that is listening to this. Um, I want to make clear that this is personal to me um, and maybe you could listen to this and think of others that really need to hear this, but I would like for when I'm talking for you guys to really just focus on how this applies to you because we all deal with anxiety in one way or another. Uh, it can come from work circumstances or family relationships or uh, friends or 
Uh, if it is a chemical imbalance and you're battling with yourself and your anxiety is attacking you and it's within yourself, all of those uh, should be applied to this, that we are all fighting against anxiety and it's a battle. Um, so for that alone, um, that is why I wanted to uh, preach on this for you guys and I hope that this is helpful info um, and we walk away just um, a little bit more ready for the next time we have to deal with something like this. Um, so that being said, uh, I have three major points that I want us to go through and they all start with the same letter as all good preachers do. And I cheated, it actually all starts with the same word, God, so <laughs> I really cheated here, but it works, okay, Dad? <laughs> um, and so these are the three things I want us to go through. First is that God's word is true, um, and that his scripture and what we read about him is the ultimate truth, that it triumphs over everything else, and it is the ultimate truth. Second is that God has given you life, and he is currently giving you life, and it was given to you as a gift. And then thirdly, that God has crafted you for his glory, crafted like an artist who makes a painting or um, a molder is making a clay pot. Uh, he has made you in a unique certain way. And when you first look at these things, you might be thinking, Josh, these are extremely obvious. We learned about these on our first day of children's church. Uh, we want Pastor Brian back. That could, I, I understand, it looks very um, obvious, and I know you guys know these things. But there is a certain level of depth to each of these truths that I'm going to try to get at for you guys. Uh, and the reason for that is because when we talk about anxiety or doubt or depression, on a surface level, we all know that those are things, but when you're in it, when you're in the heart of it and there's a depth to the anxiety, it's really hard. And that goes for the same of these truths. On the surface level, we all know that we believe God's word's true and he's given us life and he's made us, but there is a depth to these things that when you are in the heart of anxiety and you are really battling with yourself and Satan is attacking you, there is a depth to these truths that will help you combat it. And that is my goal for today. And um, this sermon is very testimonial. So for each of these points, I have a story from my own life that I want to share with you guys uh, where God has taught me these truths. Um, and so that is the goal. For um, note takers, this is a great slide. You know the whole outline. So um, that's where we're gonna be going. Uh, so the first truth I want us to look at is God's word is true. And also, none of these things that I'm saying are just coming from my opinion or what I think they're all scriptural first. Uh, so I have scripture to show each um, point that I'm going to make. Um, so first is 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this is a very fitting verse because this is like the Moody Bible Institute verse. They have it etched into the arch there and it's Moody's, uh, D.L. Moody's like foundational verse for why and his heart for planting Moody was uh, we stand on scripture alone and it is profitable for teaching and it is from the word of God, it's from him. And so um, uh, a story I wanted to share with this, uh, we're gonna go chronologically through my life. Uh, so we're gonna start with really young Josh, little elementary school me. Um, Growing up in the Smith household as the youngest, I was a really go with the flow kid, and I still am. I'm very like lax about things. 
But I really would just do whatever I was told and I wasn't um, someone that would challenge authority. I would just listen to my teachers, I would listen to my parents, um, and I wasn't really a problem maker. And I would go to school and I would learn about things at school and they would tell me science and history um, and math and I just took it as this is the things I need to learn and it's all true and it's for the betterment of me. Um, and then also consistently uh, ever since I was little was going to church and coming to Valley Brook. And I thought about church in the same way I thought about school. It's like a thing I gotta go to and they're telling me things I should know and it's just true. Uh, uh, just over here at school, I learn about history of people, and over here at church, I learn about the history, and it normally revolves around God and morality. So that's just how I thought about things. Um, but as I got older, like upper elementary school into middle school, I quickly realized that not everyone, uh, not all my friends at school had thought about God and Jesus the same way that I did. Um, because they did not believe in God. They didn't think Jesus was a person, they didn't think God existed, um, or they just didn't care. And this was shocking to me because I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know we had the option to just say, no, I don't believe in that. Um, that's like, it, it felt the same as if one of the kids came up to me and just said, I don't believe in Abraham Lincoln. I don't think he was real. I know the textbooks talk about him, but I, I just don't think he was real. Okay. <laughs> We can do that now? All right. Um, so it had that same feeling. Um, but as I had gotten older, I recognized more and more people had doubt around God. Some of them believed him. Some of them didn't believe in the Bible, but believed there was probably a higher power. Uh, but some of them just denied Christianity as a whole. And that put a division in my head between what I was learning at school and at home um, from what I was learning at church. And I started to have doubt around the things I was learning at church. I thought, I knew God was real and I believed in Jesus and I believed the Bible was good. But as for the accuracy of the things we're learning about God and the stories that we read about in the Bible, I like, do we really get to know for sure what's being said? Because uh, as far for knowledge that I'm learning, there's a lot of doubt around these categories, but everything else, everyone just widely accepts. And so I had developed this type of thinking um, well into my time at middle school. And um, from, I think it was the summer between seventh and eighth grade for me, um, my parents were given the opportunity to teach on Moody's study abroad trip to Israel. And uh, Moody had offered to them that their whole family could come along. And uh, we did, and we tagged along. And I was super excited because I had never been outside the country before besides Canada when I was two, but I don't remember that, and it's Canada, so who cares? Um, but uh, we had gone on a trip to Israel, and I was excited because it's like a new culture, and I've been told it's very pretty, um, and I knew it was the land of the Bible, which uh, I had thought about differently at the time. I was like, this is where the Bible events happened, but still I wasn't convinced like they actually happened here or they didn't happen in the way the Bible records. Um, so we go on this trip and that's kind of my mentality. And on this trip, God really started working on my heart. And every location that we were brought to had brought a little bit of like, I wasn't subconscious of it, but convincing of 
like here we're standing at this is the place where Jesus had cast out legion of the man who was in the graveyard and he cast legion out of him and cast them into pigs and they have an exact location of where that happened and we saw the hill of where it was. And I loved that. That's like one of my favorite Bible stories because one, I think it displays the power of Jesus and how triumphant he is over evil powers. And two, it's hysterical. There's a bunch of pigs that just run off a cliff, which <laughs> if you're the farmer, you're probably really sad. But if you're anyone else, you're like, that was hysterical. What just happened? <laughs> uh, it's also the first case of deviled ham. There, yes, thank you. There's the pastoral joke, so... <laughs> Had to get it in. Um, so uh, we saw that. We saw where Peter's house likely was. They have like a really close location to where he actually would have lived. Um, and we had also gone to the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's a beautiful uh, place to go and to see all the landscape around it. And we went out on a boat for like this tourist guy who takes people just out um, to the middle of it and brings them back. And um, he brought us out and I remember, I was, I was excited for this because I thought it was beautiful and we have been moving so fast throughout each day and I was just tired. I wanted to sit and be able to like think about what was going on and just relax. And it was a moment where God had got me out into the middle of the sea of Galilee and um, I remember one of the Moody professors on this trip was on the boat and he was talking about the story of Peter walking out on the water to Jesus. And that it happened here, like where we are, very close to where probably the boat was. And that just, I remember there was this moment of the Holy Spirit really working in me and saying like, did you hear that? That you are in the place that this happened. And uh, we opened up our Bibles and we started reading the story of Peter walking out to Jesus. And that was the first time I had read scripture with eyes um, of, I'm not doubting this, this happened. And I am literally in the place that this did happen. And this is the photo of us many years ago. I think it's a little funny it's how it depicts the Smith family. Um, but we're out on the Sea of Galilee and uh, this is the moment where I read scripture with no doubt that um, Peter had, was a literal person and he walked to the literal person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was out on the sea. And he called him to him and a miracle happened and Peter literally walked on the water out to Jesus. And um, so I had no doubt around that, but another thing that Jesus was teaching me or what God had taught me in that moment was the spiritual truth that also comes with that story is just as real, if not more real, than the story itself of Peter walking to him, of Peter being told, come and have faith, walk to me, Peter, and he does it, but then um, Peter starts looking around at the storm that's around them, and he starts doubting, and he thinks, uh, he starts worrying about himself, and what do I do? I'm standing on water, and he starts to sink, and his focus was off of Jesus, and he stopped caring about what was right in front of him and started caring about the world around him. And he started to sink. And the, the lesson of needing to focus on God and not have all your attention worry about the storm that's around you, that hit me just as hard as remembering I am on the Sea of Galilee and a literal event took place here. And so um, that's the moment I realized whatever scripture has to say about God and what it has to say about you 
and all the truths of historical but also spiritual that it says is truth. And it is triumphant over any other truth that comes your way. And that includes true things that you tell yourself and what people tell about you have to submit authority to what scripture says about you first. And that is a foundational truth that we need to, uh, I need to lay now before I get into my next two points. But just to remember that, that what scripture says about you and what it says about God is mostly triumphant over anything else that is said. Um, so knowing that, um, going into point two is that God has given you life. And I think this is the point that sounds the most obvious. We all believe in God and we believe that we are alive. You're currently alive right now. So uh, God made you and you have life. Um, but again, there's a certain depth of this phrase that I'm trying to get at. Um, and what I want to point towards is in Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And um, we've heard this verse a million times. We know the creation narrative and we've heard God giving the breath of life to man. Um, but for years, I had thought about this verse as um, it just happened at the beginning. That's how man was created, was the breath of life. And uh, it kind of like a, like a wind-up toy is God wound up Adam, and that was the breath of life, and now he's just going. We're breathing, and it's working how it's supposed to. Um, and that's just how I thought about it. But... Um, if you also pair this with the idea of in Job 33, 4, this is um, said by Elihu, who is one of Job's friends. Job's old friends have just finished condemning him and uh, incorrectly, unrighteously condemning him. Uh, Elihu walks up, he condemns the other friends, and then he walks up to Job, and he's going to condemn him with righteousness, and he's going to give him wisdom as to what to think and what to do. And before he gets into that, chapter 33 is the, the beginning, the introduction of Elihu. And he's kind of giving his credentials as to why he is a righteous enough man to talk to Job. And one of the things he quickly says is this, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And so this paired with the idea of Genesis 2-7 we should recognize that the breath of life is not something that was just given to Adam at the beginning, and it wasn't something just given to you when you were first made, but you are currently, right now, breathing the same breath of life that's given to Adam in Genesis 2. When you breathe in right now, you are being given life by God, and he wants you. It's a gift to be given to you, and it's given in love and in graciousness. And... Um, so the story I want to share with this is a story many of you have probably heard, and you've probably heard it from the perspective of one of my siblings or my parents, um, which I think is funny. I think I'm the person in my family that least talks about this, <laughs> but it happened to me. Um, this happened to me um, the summer of 2017 before I went to Moody. Um, I was in a severe car accident and I almost died. I was out on a run and um, I had run this running path many times before, and this um, just was one random day. I decided to go on a run, and you know, I'm trying to get fit before I go to school. Got to look good for college, and so it was nothing peculiar. I was just out on this run, and um, I enter into this crosswalk that I've crossed thousands of times before, 
and um, I see this pickup truck that's at the bottom of the hill. There's like a hill up uh, for the road that I'm crossing, and it's decent away from where the crosswalk is from where I am. Um, also, there's a stop sign, and I'm going into a crosswalk, and I'm a pedestrian. So there's plenty of reason to think I am good to go, and also, I don't want to stop on a run. You keep your momentum. It's like the worst when you're out on a run, and you have to stop, because then you have to re-motivate yourself to go. So there's no reason to think I need to stop, um, and I go in, um, and you would think, like, the car is going to stop. That's what it's supposed to do, but apparently not all cars stop. They decide to speed up. <laughs> And this car was speeding, um, it was close, according to the paramedics and the police that were on the scene, it was going close to 45 miles per hour and it directly hit me while I was in the crosswalk. It was a direct impact. And um, at that moment, I should have died, 100%. There is no reason as to why really anyone should survive that at that speed when I'm just standing there or like I had some momentum, but that was it and this car hits me sideways, and I smack into the concrete, that's not survivable. Um, statistically, 96% uh, fatality rate for people that are hit at that speed. Um, so, uh, and if not dead, then at least something that is long-term that is very severe, like paralyzed or brain damage or something along those lines. Um, I might have some brain damage, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> You can determine that. Um, but I remember I woke up on the side of the road and it took me a minute to come back into reality and think about what just happened. And um, I had been concussed, so my brain was really fuzzy. Um, so there was a lot of things going on and there's a lot of miracles that happened throughout this story. And I could do a whole sermon series on things from this miracle that happened to me. Um, but uh, there's one thing I want to uh, get at that attaches to this point is um, when I woke up on the side of the road, two things once I was getting back into reality worried me right away. Was one, I could feel blood dripping off the back of my head and I did not know where it was coming from. I didn't know if it was my brain um, and my skull was cracked and my brain was bleeding or if it was just like scraped from the top of my head um, and I think it, it just was a scrape. A lot of uh, my skin <laughs> was cut up and bruised. Um, and two, my breathing got really, really hard. And um, while I was laying there on the ground, uh, I knew each breath that I was taking, the next breath I took after was harder to get. Um, and so I would breathe in and then I couldn't fully feel like I was catching my breath, though I was pushing for it. And then I would have to... Uh, breathe in again, but it would be even shorter than the one previous to that. And I think the best way to describe it is like if you're underwater for a good amount of time and then you feel your lungs in you that's like, hey, we got to breathe and you resurface that first breath that you have and you're gasping for air is what it felt like. Um, but every time I breathed, I think that there's like a relief when you have that breath because afterwards you're catching your breath and you're fine. But that first breath, when you only are breathing like that, it's really scary. And it was getting shorter and shorter, and I was worried that what if the next breath that I take, I can't get oxygen, I'm done, like my, it's not accepting as much as I need, and then I die. Um, and that had to happen for a few minutes, um, but before I was put into the ambulance, it finally surfaced, and it was really hard to 
breathe, but it stopped getting worse. So I knew I was able to keep breathing and I was stabilized at this level of pushing for air, um, but it was still really hard. I had to fight for each breath that I was getting. Um, so as you can see today, I healed, uh, which is a crazy miracle. Um, but in the healing process, um, which had so many miracles in it that I could talk about, um, the goal was that I needed to heal my concussion in time to see if I could go to Moody in August. Um, and because that was the thing they determined would take the longest to recover. And the way that you heal a concussion really fast is by doing absolutely nothing. You sit in a dark room and you just turn your brain off. You, uh, you go to bed as much as you can and you just don't do anything. Um, and I had to do that for close to a month. And that was one of the hardest times of my life. It was really hard to just be sitting alone with your thoughts in a dark room um, and someone who is anxious and uh, deals with those kind of thoughts. Uh, it was a prime time for Satan to attack me and to have really negative thoughts about myself. Um, and that was the moment I, I, I want this moment to relate to you guys of the anxiety that I'm talking about and the depression um, that I want to relate to is not just like a surface level, like, oh, that's nice, but you don't know real pain. I'm talking about anxiety that makes you, it ruins you. It makes you so paralyzed and sad that you don't know what to think. It's a very self-destructive type of anxiety. It works both with like little anxiety and surface, but it also has a huge depth to it. And so during this healing time, um, I was very, um, I was struggling a lot with my own thoughts about myself, um, but uh, after I was able to move around my house and I was able to see light more often um, because my concussion had healed enough where I could be around the house and, and see light and be okay, um, and talking with my family, I was having um, a lot of time where I was, I don't know if it was zoning out or like somewhat flashbacks of thinking back to when I was on the side of the road and gasping for air. Specifically that, I wasn't really thinking about all the other pain that I was in or like the bleeding or anything. It was that feeling of pushing for air and then I would like pop back into reality. I would zone back in and then I would be short of breath in that moment. I'd be like, well, like my breathing had uh, not stabilized. And then I would remember like, oh yeah, I can breathe like totally fine now. I don't even have to think about it. There's every day I wake up and I can just breathe normal and not fight for it. And um, then I had, one day I was listening to the Bible on audio because I couldn't read it. Um, I was listening on audio and I started in Genesis and I heard Genesis 2 uh, talking about the, the breath of life that's given to man. And that instantly connected to me of the breath of life that's given to us so graciously and kindly uh, is such a gift that we don't have to fight for it. It's something that's just given to you and you do every single day and you don't have to think about it. Um, and like that is a beautiful gift that God gives to us. And so um, how this applies to like when you're in a moment of anxiousness and sorrow and like life is hard, Take time to just step aside and to breathe and think about this. Think about how God is currently giving you the breath of life and it's a gift. He wants you to be living right now 
and just think about that and meditate on that gift to you and the love that he is currently giving you. And it really does help. I promise you it's helped me and I think for a lot of circumstances it can help you guys. Um, so, um, and we know that this is true because of our first point that God's word is true, that he has given us life and he has given us the breath of life. So, um, we've been over, okay, and now <laughs> I have a photo. Um, if you're squeamish, you should look away. Uh, this is the photo of me the day I was hit. I'm in a neck brace and I have scrapes on my head and I wanted to show um, like this is where I had been and now you can see where I am today. Um, and so this was me literally an hour or so after I was hit by the car. Um, so I don't remember this day at all, uh, but uh, it's not my most flattering angle, but you know, <laughs> uh, I think it's really, it's crazy to me to look back at something like this and then uh, see where I am today, that I'm alive and I'm walking and I'm breathing and I'm so grateful for that. And um, yeah, so we can take that off screen. <laughs> Um, so the third point now that I want to share with you all, and final point, um, is that God has crafted you for his glory. And the verse, I would say the theme verse for everything tying together and maybe the memory verse for this sermon is Ephesians 2.10, uh, is that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the part that I really want to hone in on is the, the phrase that we are his workmanship, or in other translations it says craftsmanship. And um, you might, uh, the, the, the original point of that God has given you life, I have thought that before when really anxious and upset with myself, and I've thought, so what, that I'm living, so do bugs and so do lizards and like small things, and when they die it doesn't really matter. But, Scripture calls you to, a, it brings a uniqueness and a heaviness to your existence than those things. God has crafted you and he has worked on you and he has made you unique. And you have to accept that. That is what the word of God has said. That is ultimate truth. So no matter what you're telling yourself and what Satan wants to tell you, because Satan's very crafty and he will attach these accusations to other truths in your life. You might be thinking, oh, I've messed up here and there, and that could be true. But above all, when you are thinking about your whole existence as a person, you have to know that you were made and you are workmanship of the God of life, the author of life. And the story I want to share with you guys for this is um, my junior year at Moody, um, my, so I, I go in with this mentality of I'm so excited to learn about ministry now. Uh, I have this new motivation. I recognize life has been given to me twice now when I didn't deserve it, both spiritually and literally. I should not be alive. Um, and I'm excited, um, but my social anxiety, I'm not aware of it yet, and I'm, it's getting worse. <laughs> and um, with social circumstances and um, with nearing the end of school, I am becoming a very anxious person. And my junior year, second semester, I'm thinking to myself, um, I don't have much school left. Um, I don't feel prepared at all for the real world. I don't think I'm gonna do good. I don't know what to do. Um, I was nervous about school, if I could even pass. There was a ton of assignments coming my way. 
and I wasn't motivating myself. I was comparing myself to other people in my class and saying, I'm not as good as them, so why even try on my assignments? It's not worth it. Um, I should just give up. Um, I had tension going on in like friendships and stuff at school, and it, it was like every realm of my life had something going on in it that was attacking me. And I remember one night um, in my dorm room, I was working on an assignment, but I wasn't making much progress because I was just so down on myself and talking negatively to myself. And I was so doubtful that I would be able to do good with that assignment and to do good with school and then eventually do good with life. Um, I had a panic attack and it was self-induced. I had talked myself into it and I started breathing really heavy. My heart rate was like skyrocketed. It felt like I had just finished a marathon. I was sweating, but also cold at the same time. And um, I had to stop and I, I got out of my dorm and I, I paced in the hall and I just needed to calm myself down. After a few minutes, um, it had passed, um, but I was still really sad because I had been attacking myself with these thoughts um, and doubting myself. And so I called my parents and uh, they helped talk to me um, about like a lot of people are feeling like you at this time of their life. They, they doubt themselves and it's a scary time as well. Um, and they, they helped calm me down and like get to a more firm place. Um, and then a few days later, uh, I went out to eat with my mom and I talked to her about my common everyday type of thinking, uh, which was very, um, I'm comparing myself to people all the time of whenever I'm doing anything like at the gym or if I'm in class or even by myself, I would be comparing myself to others and saying I am worse than that person. And I would assume what everyone is thinking about me is negative, that they do not see much in me, that I'm not impressive, the things I do are not like cool or good, uh, other people can do it better. And that was my common everyday of thinking. And um, constantly comparing myself, my mom had told me that I have a type of social anxiety. And though it's minor, I'm very high functioning and uh, I can like be in places, um, it, comes from my type of mentality, my type of thinking. And when I heard this, uh, that was earth shattering news because for years now, I've been talking to myself this way and didn't realize it. I didn't know that's not how other people think about themselves. I didn't know that's not okay to do to yourself. I thought that was normal. Um, and so that was sad. And it was also maybe the saddest part was hearing that news doesn't mean it's gonna change right away. I was hoping the next day I could wake up and just say, I'm not gonna be anxious today. I'm not gonna compare myself. Some of the most for formable years of my brain and human development um, has had me thinking this way and it's not gonna change just like that. Um, and that, that was hard. But what God had done for me through that experience of the panic attack and talking to my parents, um, I, uh, can now take steps to combating it. And it was hard to accept, it was a hard pill to swallow, but since then I've been able to work on things that help fight against my social anxiety. Um, being able to um, self-talk and uh, recognize when I'm comparing myself to other people and say no, um, stop telling yourself that, that's your narrative in your head, you don't know what they're thinking. Um, and trying to just care less and just more focus on more what I am doing rather than what other people are saying. Um, and it helps, it slowly gets better and better. It's like working out a muscle. 
Um, the more you do it, the easier it will get. That's not to say it will disappear as a problem altogether, but it gets easier. And the uh, God, uh, in his grace and mercy towards me, has allowed me to t- make like tremendous strides in fighting against it. And so I stand here today as a testimony of when you tell yourself these spiritual truths that I'm sharing with you now, you get better at fighting against anxiety. This really does help. Um, and uh, I think for throughout my senior year, it was really working on fighting against that and focusing on school. And my senior year at Moody was actually really tough. I would say that was the academically hardest year of my time at Moody. Um, but I graduated. I passed, which was great. <laughs> um, and um, I don't think junior year me would have done it. I think I would have talked myself into this is way too hard and none of the work I produce is going to be good enough. Um, but I did it. I got through Moody and I was like proud of the work I did. I wasn't an A plus student, but I graduated and I was proud of myself. Um, I grew the confidence to ask a girl out that I really liked. And that's something I never would have done uh, like prior Josh. And um, to, to be able to grow in relationship with her and say that I am suitable enough to date and now even grow to the point where I've proposed to her and uh, see myself suitable enough to be a husband. And so the photo, I have a photo for each story. Uh, this is me in Sydney shortly after I had proposed to her. Uh, look at how happy we are. Woo! <laughs> um, and so um, being able to do that and even today, me preaching here in front of you guys, this is something I, not, I wouldn't have seen myself doing just even a year ago. I think I would have told myself, they can't gain any spiritual benefit from me. It would be a waste of a Sunday. Um, and I would down talk myself. But um, God has had grace upon me to be able to do something like this. Um, and my social anxiety definitely wouldn't have allowed this. You can tell probably uh, this did make me nervous and I'm not super comfortable in front of crowds, but um, I would have just like fainted a year ago. <laughs> it would have been really bad. Um, so um, I just stand here as a testimony and um, the way I want to wrap all this together is um, focusing on the cross because that is the image that we should be thinking of when thinking about all these things of how do we know that I really am loved by God, that he has crafted me and I'm made with a purpose and the things he tells me is true and I can really rely on those things when I'm anxious or depressed. Um, And that, you have to think of Jesus on the cross. There's nothing more that can say I love you more than Jesus giving himself for you. And um, there's one more image I want to share. Um, This was made by this creator online. His name is Full of Eyes. It's like a weird name, but just that's his online animator name. And I think the images he makes are beautiful and do a really good job of capturing scripture. And he makes it for worship songs as well. Um, But this displays um, when Satan is trying to get at you and he's trying to get you to believe that you are useless or the things that you're doing are not helpful and you are doubting yourself and you are anxious about the things around you, you have to remember first that Jesus has already conquered Satan. He's already defeated him for you. And that's what the cross is. He has paid for your sins and the things that Satan once could say to you when you lived in sin no longer apply. 
You are created new, you are a new being, and you are crafted by God to glorify him. And all of those stand true because we know what God says stands triumphant over everything else. Um, and so, uh, glory be to God for that truth. I love these truths, and I hope that you would take these, um, the next time that you guys deal with these things, um, that you would, you would meditate on them, and uh, they would be beneficial for you. Um, and so, uh, I would like to invite the worship team back up, um, and I will end us in prayer. So. Um. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time of gathering. We thank you for um, your words, your truth that you have given to us. Um, we thank you for the blessings and the miracles that you um, have already done in our lives, that whether have they have gone recognized or unrecognized, that you have been alongside us and you are working within us. And I just pray for everyone that is listening now, that is in this room or listening to recording, um, that the next time that Satan is ready to strike and for them to doubt themselves and to be upset, um, that your gospel truth would come first. God, we, we pray that you would guard us, that you are a good shepherd, that uh, the things that you tell us would come to mind first. Um, and we, we love you so much that we know it's true that you loved us first while we were still sinners and you died on the cross for our sins. Um, and so we thank you now uh, and we come to you with hearts of worship ready to praise you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.